Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of What Had Happened, a true crime podcast. I am your host, Kimberly, bringing you lesser-known true crime stories. Welcome back. How's everyone doing? Everyone, I hope you're doing well. <clears throat> it's been beautiful here in Anywhere USA as we start feeling more of these late spring, early summer vibes. Summer's certainly around the corner, and I'm beyond stoked. Totally. Um... I was finally able to force myself to watch We Have to Talk About Cosby on Showtime. That was almost as difficult for me to sit through as surviving R. Kelly. The Keepers and Abducted in Plain Sight. Anywho, I watched some more stuff, but that's neither here nor there. I'd like to thank you all for continuing to share the What Had Happened word as we continue to expand our listenership. With that being said, it's time for me to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's your shout-out time. What it do, Tampa, Miami, Orlando, Pensacola, Valrico, Florida. Hey, 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 Chicago, Libertyville, Deerfield, Crystal Lake. Ooh, ooh. And Naperville, Illinois. Welcome back, Detroit, Flint, Kalamazoo, Dearborn, and Gross Point, Michigan. What's good, New York City, Albany, the Bronx, Brooklyn, Schenectady, New York. I see you, Seattle, Bellingham, Bainbridge Island, Olympia, and Everett, Washington. <laughs> Here we go. Um, Scissorletic Budapest. Welcome back, Norway, India, Mexico, Namibia, Brazil, Malaysia, Lebanon, and Belgium. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the likes, shares, and subscribes. Don't forget to join the What Had Happened Facebook group and follow all of the social accounts that can be found in the description box with my references per the usual. I had to take a little minute after last episode where I discussed what had happened to the five Jones children at the hands of their mentally unwell father, Timothy Ray Jones Jr. in 2014. Today's episode, we will be traveling north to Massachusetts to discuss listener Farah's request. Thank you, Farah, for your suggestion. Today I'll be discussing what had happened at the Northampton VA Hospital to numerous patients at the hands of a serial killer making her rounds. 
Kristen Heather Strickland was the first of two daughters born to electronics executive and homemaker slash part-time school teacher Richard and Claudia Strickland. Born on November 13, 1967, Kristen and her little sister grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts. To quote Wikipedia, which there will be quite a few of those, Fall River is known for the Lizzie Borden case, the Fall River cult murders, Portuguese culture, its numerous 19th century textile mills, and Battleship Cove, home of the world's largest collection of World War II naval vessels, including the battleship USS Massachusetts. It better be there. Fall River has its city hall located over an interstate highway. What an interesting location for a city hall. While Kristen was a gifted student who excelled in math, she was also described... Fuck it. Here we go. Monster fucking juice alert. She was also described as a manipulative girl who lied a fuckton and stole. Hella. As a teenager, she faked multiple suicide attempts, which is totally fucked up, but obviously a cry for help. Um as a way to manipulate people, which is even more fucked up because suicide is nothing to play with, especially when you're just trying to do it to get your own way. During this time, Kristen would also make violent threats at various people. Okay, so she gave me Veruca Salt vibes. And I've been listening to that song all week on the Willy Wonka soundtrack. Because that's what she's been giving me. Through it all, Kristen maintained her excellent grades and graduated from Groton Dunstable Regional High School at the young age of 16. And I think that that was probably part of the problem is that she had been advanced uh, because of her intellect at a young age uh, to a point where her peers were no longer her peers. They were older and she was a petulant, hissy-fitty girl. There's that. Kristen began attending Bridgewater State College in 1984. During the time that Kristen was attending school, she was also a home health aide. So the years or the time that she worked as a home health aide are kind of sketch. However, Kristen was reported violent and abusive towards her clients no shit scalding one mentally handicapped child intentionally with hot bath water fucking juice sorry while at college Kristen's continued fake suicide attempts to gain attention from former boyfriends and violent outbursts towards herself and others continued to escalate and the college had no choice but to order Kristen into psychiatric treatment. Due to this, Kristen transferred to Wachesset Community College in 1987 and then transferring to Greenfield Community College where she would earn her degree in nursing, becoming a registered nurse in 1988. Now, I put this in here at this point of the script because it's important to note. So we, as 
a learned crew of true crimers and people in general, most of us know that doctors take a Hippocratic oath, which is, you know, to do no harm, so on and so forth. Nurses and other medical professionals are not obligated to do so. However, I did a little research and found out that there is a Nightingale Pledge, and I want you to hear the words to this pledge. Um, first of all, and this is a quote from the website that I found this from, nurses and other healthcare professionals don't take the Hippocratic Oath, though they may make similarly aligned promises as part of their graduation ceremonies. So I don't want anybody coming for me. If you guys hadn't done this, but you are a healthcare professional, it's obvious. It's, it's said that it's an option. One such alternative, the Nightingale Pledge, a document written in 1893 and named in honor of the founder of modern nursing, Florence Nightingale. During their graduation and or pinning ceremonies, new nurses may be invited to recite the following. I solemnly pledge myself before God and in the presence of this assembly to pass my life in purity and to practice my profession faithfully. I will abstain from whatever is deleterious and mischievous and will not take or knowingly administer any harmful drug. I will do all in my power to maintain and alleviate this or elevate the standard of my profession and will hold in confidence all per personal matters committed to my keeping and all family affairs coming to my knowledge in the practice of my calling. With loyalty will I endeavor to aid the physician in his work and devote myself to the welfare of those committed to my care. Later that same year, Kristen would marry Glenn Gilbert. On January 26, 1989, Kristen began working at the Northampton Veteran Associate, uh, VA Medical Center. So, yeah, it's for veterans, for those of you who don't know what the VA is. Um, they, they, they have many, there's many brackets to the VA that they can help you with, but she was working at their medical center, which is big a lot of veterans come back with a lot of, you know, medical needs, and it's nice to have an establishment that takes care primarily of veterans, um, because the staff should be more versed in working with people who are coming back with all sorts of traumas associated with being in the military. Kristen found working with the veterans to be challenging and rewarding. She quickly became well-liked among her co-workers. In March of 1990, Kristen went on maternity leave. The following month, Kristen was featured in the magazine VA Practitioner. Kristen and Glenn would welcome their first child in December 1990. After returning from maternity leave, Kristen threw herself back into her work as well as organizing a yearly Giving Tree gift exchange for disadvantaged families. Interestingly, the death rate in the hospital began to triple when she returned to work. Hmm. Although Kristen was succeeding in her professional life, her marriage began to fail at the beginning of 1993. 
February 1993, Kristen became pregnant with she and Glenn's second child. Their baby was born that November. Just as she'd done after the birth of her first child, Kristen returned to work and thrusted herself into that and her expanding social life, which conflicted with her deteriorating marriage to Glenn. Early on, fellow nurses jokingly referred to Kristen as the angel of death because of the amount of deaths on her shifts. In the fall of 1994, Kristen was assigned to the night shift. This is when she began having an affair with VA security guard James Peralt. James was a Persian Gulf War Army vet. What began as weeks of flirting and banter at work quickly turned physical when one night after drinking at the VFW, the two shared a kiss when James walked Kristen to her car. Soon the two engaged in a full-out affair. Soon Kristen would begin stealing drugs from the cabinets at work as well, squirreling them away. At home, Glenn began to fall gravely ill. Kristen had been crushing pills and slipping them into Glenn's food. When the bouts of illness were too much to handle, Kristen would take Glenn to Cooley Dickinson, a local civilian hospital. Whenever Glenn would go to the emergency room, he'd recover for a week only to grow ill again. On the last visit to the emergency room, Kristen insisted on collecting a sample of Glenn's blood to be analyzed at her job. Glenn observed that the syringe Kristen injected in his arm contained a clear liquid that immediately made his arm run cold after she pushed the plunger. Glenn attempted to get away from Kristen, but she forcefully pinned him against the wall with her hip. Shortly after this incident, Kristen abandoned her husband and children to cohabitate with her lover, James. Oy. By the end of 1994, Kristen not only had her personal life unraveling, her theft of meds at work had become suspected and reported after she attempted to give a fellow nurse who had asthma drugs. Near the end of July 1995, 66-year-old, please don't mess this name up, I'm, you know how I feel about this, loves, I really don't like to jack people's names, Stanley J. Jagodowski, there we go, Jagodowski was admitted to VAMC for a bowel obstruction. Although Stanley only required oral medication for his ailment, a nurse reported seeing Kristen enter his room with a syringe. The nurse heard Stanley scream briefly before Kristen exited his room. Later that evening, Stanley died of cardiac arrest. It would appear that the halls had been visited by the angel of death again. Interestingly enough, the death rate at the hospital had been the topic of discussion by many. On one occasion, a war veteran who suffered from delusions refused treatment in Kristen's hospital ward. The scuttlebutt, or gossip, was alarming to him. Quote, people are dying around here for no reason. The patients are talking about it. The staff is talking about it. The staff is talking to the patients about it. But of course, it was just scuttlebutt, and this vet suffered from mental illness. 
so who would listen to him? Kristen would ensure he'd be silenced by injecting him on the sly and killing him. In February 1996, nurses filed a formal inquiry based on their suspicions of Kristen's involvement in the deaths of the two veterans. The nurses had observed the high frequency of medical emergencies and deaths on the ward occurred during Kristen's 4 p.m. to midnight shift. The nurses had also found it odd that the veterans who had died under Kristen's charge had died of cardiac arrest, yet they had no heart problems. Before quitting amid the investigation, Kristen was involved in three separate incidents with patients. First, on February 2nd, 1996, veteran Kenneth Cutting had the misfortune of being on Kristen's ward. Kristen had asked her supervisor if she could leave work early if her patient died. Kristen's supervisor told her yes. Two hours later, Kenneth died of cardiac arrest. On February 15th, a veteran with AIDS was being treated with IV antibiotics and he passed out when Kristen flushed his IV. Three days later, on February 18th, 68-year-old veteran, here we go again, Edward Squira went into cardiac arrest and died. Later that day, numerous empty bottles of epinephrine that had been missing were found in the trash can. Following the murder of Edward Squira, which it was led back to him, by the by, uh, Kristen quit her job at the VA Medical Center. By July 8, 1996, with the walls closing around Kristen, she had attempted suicide and then began ping-ponging between psychiatric facilities seven times, staying no more than 10 days at each stint. During one of her psychiatric commitments, Kristen called boyfriend James to confess to to murder, saying, quote, I did it. I did it. You want it to know? I killed all those guys by injection. It was one thing to listen to the water cooler gossip at the hospital as nurses and doctors whispered about the peculiar events that always transpired around Kristen. It was another thing to have those rumors confirmed. James informed local authorities of Kristen's confession, and they began digging deeper into the happenings at the VA hospital. With police investigating the crimes Kristen committed, out of retaliation, she called in a bomb threat at the VA Medical Center. In January 1998, Kristen stood trial for the threats. In April 1998, she was convicted and sentenced to 15 months. When delving into the depths of Kristen's crimes committed while on staff, investigators learned from VA hospital staff members who speculated that Kristen may have been responsible for 350 or more deaths and more than 300 medical emergencies. The prosecutor in her case, Assistant U.S. Attorney William M. Welch II, asserted that Kristen 
used these emergency situations to gain the attention of her then boyfriend, James Peralt, a VA police officer. Hospital rules required that hospital police be present at any medical emergency. James testified against her, saying that she had confessed at least to one murder to him by phone while she was hospitalized in one of her psychiatric stays. Defense attorney David P. Hoos claimed reasonable doubt based on a lack of direct evidence. William Boudelet, a psychiatrist who served as chief of staff at the Northampton VAMC, had theorized that Kristen created emergency medical crisis situations to, to display her proficiency as a nurse. At the trial, prosecutors said that she gained that she used a large kitchen knife in an assault in Greenfield, Massachusetts in January or February of 1990 or 1988. So this was right around the time that she was graduating from school. Prosecutors also said that she tried twice to murder a person by poison in November 1995. Prosecutors also said that Kristen tried to poison a patient at the VA hospital on January 28, 1996, and that she caused a medical emergency by removing a patient's breathing tube at the VA hospital on January 30, 1994. Prosecutors said that Kristen abandoned a patient undergoing cardiac arrest on November 9, 1995, and then asked another nurse to accompany her on a check of patients. Prosecutors said that she waited until her colleague independently spotted the patient's difficulty before raising an alarm. So she set the shit up. Kristen also forced an untrained colleague to use a cardiac defibrillation paddle on a patient during a medical emergency on November 17, 1995, by refusing to use the equipment herself. Prosecutors said that Kristen threatened the life of at least one person verbally and physically in July of 1996. They also brought up the instance when she was working as a home health aide become, before becoming a registered nurse, um, where she purposely scalded the mentally handicapped child with hot bath water. So on March 14, 2001, a federal jury convicted Kristen on three counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, and two counts of attempted murder. Though Massachusetts does not have capital punishment, her crimes were committed on federal property and thus subject to the death penalty. Prosecutors, in an attempt to secure a penalty of death, sought to admit evidence of aggravating factors during the penalty phase, including Kristen's 1998 conviction for the bomb threat, while the defense introduced evidence of mitigating factors, including the well-being of her two children. On March 26, 2001, the jury recommended a sentence of life imprisonment. On March 27th, 
the judge formally sentenced Kristen to four consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole plus 20 years. She was transferred from prison for women from a prison for women in Farmingham, Massachusetts or sorry, Framingham, Massachusetts to FMC Carswell in Fort Worth, Texas, where she's remained since. In July 2003, Kristen and her legal team dropped her federal appeal for a new trial after a new Supreme Court ruling that would have allowed prosecutors to to pursue the death penalty upon retrial. So what had happened is this. I already touched on this when I immediately started talking about how she was growing up. I don't want to say she was too smart for her own good. I think that's not the way to think about this. I think that what had happened is this. She was highly intelligent, but she was used to getting her own way. And she learned, obviously, at a young age, that extreme tactics could yield the results that she wanted if she manipulated what she was doing and the people that she wanted a response from. So suffice it to say that by the time she graduated from high school at the young age of 16, she had already become a master manipulator. She had multiple fake suicide attempts as a way to glean attention from people who were not giving it to her, primarily boyfriends. So if you were not, if you were the male in her life and you were not giving her the attention that she so desperately craved and sought after, prepare for a reckoning. She was mean as fucking shit. That's the next thing. Mean as fucking shit. To scald anybody with hot water intentionally. You are mean as fucking shit. To scald a mentally handicapped child intentionally. There's a special place in fucking hell that burns fiery bright for you. Um, she was a fucking thief. She intentionally, once she, you know, met the, you know, the security guard, started squirreling away drugs so she could get rid of her husband, is how I see it. I think that she really thought that if she could kill Glenn off, she and James and her children could move in together and live whatever life that she wanted. Uh, the numbers are astounding. Um, VAs get a bad fucking rep, okay? And it's I think some of it comes from people like her, okay? Uh, this mistreatment of our veterans... As a veteran, I take the shit personally. Uh, 
she absolutely did not take her oath seriously. She was a serial killer. I didn't say it much. It was not really touched on in this episode, but she is a full-fledged fucking serial killer, and her prey were veterans. Period. That's who she preyed on. And sadly, a lot of veterans that, you know, utilize these services and facilities don't have families. Okay? So, just like how we talk about our male serial killers who target women who are in high-risk occupations, i.e. sex work. Or the ones who would pick up hitchhikers and things of that nature. And they had, or, you know, young girls who had histories of being a runaway. These types of predators have a keen sense of who they find would be weak and un- and not missed. It's no different than someone going to Skid Row and picking off homeless people. Same effect. So, working in this hospital, and I mean, hello, the the numbers indicate that the shit started early for her. So, she started out by being mean as fuck and abusing clients as a home health aide. And then, she began working with these veterans in this facility, and it really began to take off in 1990. And, I mean, of course, when you work in the medical profession, you know that, you know, death has his own room in the hospital somewhere. You know that death is inevitable in a hospital. But what you don't think is that, okay, especially, like, in a VA hospital, because I think, when I think of the VA hospital, I think of there being so many different, wards and sections to it that specialize in so many different things uh you know you've got you've got you absolutely have got your general practitioners you've got your psychiatrists you've got the doctors that you know your orthopedists besides intensive care which is the unit that she actually you know that she also worked in you know there's all sorts of emergency medicine there are so many different aspects to these hospitals so you wouldn't think that one particular ward would have such an uptick in emergency situations and deaths and to go up as high as it did Okay, if they're saying that they believe that she had her hands in at least half of the 300, I believe it was like the 350 deaths, it's 175 people that she killed. They say that she didn't discriminate, she didn't just pick off people with one particular type of medical ailment that wasn't a discriminator for her she didn't discriminate obviously because she was so callous and so I mean she didn't care I mean the 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 veteran that had 
AIDS that passed out when she flushed his IV was lucky that, uh, you know, whatever it was that she did try to do to him was unsuccessful. Think of all the people, the paths that she crossed, and she elected not to hurt them, and how that probably rested on these people's minds. Also, you take into consideration a lot of people are hesitant to seek treatment. And so when there's this talk, like with that one particular veteran who she did inevitably kill, came in and he was in an arms about what he had been hearing People talk. This is a small community, and people talk. Uh, you know, uh, it's scary, is what it is. It's scary. And for her to take matters in her own hands to get attention from her paramour is frightening. Uh, to continue to do it over the years... And think that she was just going to continue to get away with it is baffling. Especially when they were flat out telling, calling her the angel. Ha ha ha, girl, you're the angel of death in scrolls. <laughs> they were like telling her to her face. Girl, death becomes you. Mm. You know, like, it's ridiculous. So, I would say that... Well, I feel that... Her taking matters into her own hands and at such an alarming rate, she actually is probably one of the most pro prolific serial killers ever. And while she received all of these life sentences, four consecutive without the possibility of parole with an additional 20 years. I don't think it's enough. I don't. You know, nurses take an oath, but you know what? Military personnel do too. We, uh, we all stand in a room and we raise our hand and we swear to protect the Constitution and the country against terrorists, form, you know, foreign and domestic. We do that. And a lot of times we're kids who don't even understand the totality and the weight of the words that we're saying. But we know that we're willing to die for our country. And in return, for our sacrifice, be it our mental health, our physical health, or both, in return, the government says, we will provide you a haven where you can receive assistance so that you can, you know, be, period, in this country. Just be, so that you can live. Period. Like, across the, you know, whatever. 
And with that, the people that the government entrusts to oversee the care of these veterans is supposed to be, you know, coveted. These are elites because they're dealing with our broken soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guard, you know, uh, and then you get this fox in the hen house. This sly fox who would sneak in under the guise of helping and snuff out life or create crisis that could result in death time and time and time again for nearly a decade. makes me sick um you know I've even been I'm not gonna lie I've even been in a situation where I was in Thailand with my corpsman and we were out in town this is the thing about this is what really bothers me is like they take an oath man I've seen people stop what they're doing who are medical professionals to help others and this one particular night I'd just gotten to Thailand and if you're familiar with the area you know that there's a lot of motorbikes not motorcycles motorbikes and tuk-tuks and you know speed is the thing and people drive erratically we were coming out of the gates of our hotel to go to the local 7-eleven which yeah they had one of those and we watched a guy on a scooter get clipped and he was going it was go it happened so fast the next thing you know doc is right on him helping try to keep this man alive until emergency responders were able to get there and get this person to the hospital and unfortunately i was told that that person didn't make it but knowing that like my corpsman you know, didn't hesitate because he knew that it was his responsibility as a medical professional to lend help and to do no harm. And then you have this woman working with veterans doing all the fucking harm. It's senseless. Do better, people. Do better. Don't be like the angel of death and scrubs, basically. Um... Yeah, I got nothing else, you guys. I'm just really grossed out by all of her, all of the things that she did. I don't like how she maneuvered. I don't like that she was a spoiled brat who was constantly given slaps on the wrist and people gave her the benefit of the doubt and just continued to allow her to develop and become the monster that she is. You know, and there's other people that have been, you know, uh, prosecuted around the world for similar shenanigans. 
just thought you guys might want to hear about this one since it was a request. Thank you again, Farah, for your request. And uh, I think I'm going to end it right here. I'll see you guys here in another week or so. I don't know. We'll see here. Depends on how the script writing goes, to be perfectly honest with you. But I will be back very, very soon with yet another lesser-known true crime story. Once again, I'm Kimberly, and this is what had happened, and here's your beautiful outro music.